Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the bug hunt to my no contact with the colony, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I am so... It was child's play. It was child's play. What is this? I'm I thought so you were to, tired, to, to Jonathan. test me. I'm so tired. So my kid, my kid, I don't know if she was like anxious or whatever, but she started Girl Scout camp today. And last night she comes and informs me at midnight that she can't sleep. So I stayed up to try to get her to like change gears because she was still kind of talking a mile a minute and whatnot. So I ended up playing Sudoku with her and explaining my strategies in as monotone and as boring a voice as I could possibly fathom at, you know, 1 a.m. And uh, I managed to get her to sleep because, yeah, uh, yeah, because I bored her to death with, you know, it's like, well... Let's see in this column. See, there's a five here. So logically, we know that this can't be a five. And yeah, I'm so tired, Jonathan. It's okay. We're going to get through this together, buddy. Yeah, but I'm a good dad. I'm a good dad because I bored my daughter to sleep. (laughs) That's how you know you're doing parenting right. As always, let's get this episode started with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on and the servers humming and apparently... My inability to speak or make jokes uh, a humming. So thank you. That was take three. Yeah, that was, wow. Uh, just falling apart in the middle of a sentence for no reason other than blah, 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 blah. It was fascinating to listen to. All right. So uh, we have some results, right? Well, first the off, first Stephen off, King pain poll. First off, Jonathan. As I'm now officially calling it. First off. After watching Carrie. First off, Jonathan. Happy National Moon Day. <laughs> on hey, hey. Today, on July wait, 20th. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because we grew up in the 80s, which moon we talk about? On July 20th, 1969, man landed on the moon, and we are celebrating right. it today a, on National moon. moon Day. On National Moon Day. So there you go. Moon lunar conspiracy theories bug me, so don't don't even don't even try me on those, please. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to say aliens, but... Uh, hashtag nat- aliens. Hashtag <laughs> National Moon Day. Enjoy. So, the poll, right? Is that what you're talking about? Okay, so first yes, off, first off, Stephen King pain poll, as I'm affectionately first off, it. we've got two things that are tied because your wife voted for one of them and she doesn't count. And if she does count, then I'm just going to get Gina to vote for the other thing and get it get us back to a tie. So uh, right now we got a tie of the stand, the 94 edition and the shining, the 97 edition. And uh, I really would rather watch the shining a because I haven't seen it before and B because I've heard it's a total <laughs> show. And I want, I, I love, I love watching shows. I can't help I'm, myself. I'm curious about the stand though, because I watched it when I was younger and I'm curious to see if it's even remotely what I remember it to be. See, that's my problem. Cause they used to rerun it on sci-fi channel, classic sci-fi channel way back in the day. So I've actually seen that miniseries, I think two or three times. I want to say three. I haven't seen it since 1994. Yeah. I've seen it, I think as late as 2000. Cause it just... It happened to be on uh, at just a, the correct place for me to watch it. This Good Lord, week. Robert. Yeah. I just did the math on that. That's 27 years. Uh, I'm aware. 
Wow. But we're going to watch. Here's the thing, Jonathan. We're already watching the other stand. I don't want a double stand. And I know we're already watching the other shining, but we can confirm that the other shining is good. And it's also way earlier. And yes, I would rather watch something new. I'd rather go on a journey than, than look back. The shining used to be my, my go-to, um, uh, date night at the apartment movie. Mm. Uh, back when I was in my twenties, that was, uh, Never let me down. Well, I'll tell you what, tell you what, how about this? We'll let the fans decide. We will have a runoff and people can either vote for the stand or the shining. Please don't vote for the stand. I don't want to watch that again. <laughs> it hasn't held up very well. It, it well, let me rephrase I, it, it. The repeat viewing was the repeat viewing was not what I wanted it to be. And I would much rather just watch just a dumpster fire because I can, I can enjoy a dumpster fire. I like dumpster fires. <laughs> we'll be talking about dumpster fires later this episode, my friend. I know. Oh, my gosh. I know of at least two dumpster fires that we can discuss. All right. All right. Well, now it's time to move into our first segment. That is, of course, our off-the-shelf segment. This is where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, media devices, and more, and most importantly, into our hearts. Now, I see some uh, some fan uh, items. Mostly Ray. All Ray. Good Lord, he's playing some some friendship destruct destructing games there. <laughs> no, no, no. Remember last time we were complaining about uh, the interface with uh, Board Game Arena, and I said maybe we should play something that's designed to be played by mail, to because that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and I said diplomacy out loud. Apparently, Ray has some knowledge of running diplomacy on the internet. He his uh, his nerd claim to fame was he actually ran a game of it that ended up on like the Dice Tower podcast. Like that's how he met uh, Stronghold Games. Uh, ex-president Stephen Bonacore and stuff like he ran a game of diplomacy for them you know where the, oh that's cool yeah yeah it's an interesting story I I don't know anything about it you can read about it over on our discord however he uh, he got all perked up with when we said diplomacy and I realized I don't even know how that game's played like I just said it for the sake of saying it because I knew it was a play-by-mail game and apparently it's that oh, and man, diplomacy's ruined many a uh, many relationship yes yes well I'm assuming if he would run it we would somehow remain I don't know what the word is. Anonymous? Oh, I'm an adult. I can run diplomacy and not hate you, even if you screw me. Don't screw me, Robert. I don't know if I could do that. I take things personally sometimes. It bugs me. You shouldn't. No. No, no with, with board games, my spike side comes out sometimes. And uh, yeah, I'd rather be anonymous because then, then I could keep my spike side in check because I wouldn't know who was doing it. And I could like get into like a character, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I I don't want to be I don't want to be Robert playing diplomacy because I think Robert might get spiky. But I I can I can play, you know, Velvet Fist or Iron Gauntlet or whatever Robert, and that that will be acceptable to me. You're just thinking about the Velvet Fist, aren't you? I'm trying not to. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, also, he's been playing the Battle of the Five Armies and painting more Rune Wars figures. Man, you know, Battle of Five Armies is one of those games that I have meant to play so many times that I've never had an opportunity to sit down and play it, I don't think. Nice. Not nice. Shame on you. Well, I mean, on the one hand, it is nice, right? Because that's this this little unicorn out there that one day I'll sit down and play it and, and I'll get to experience what everybody talks about. That's always fun. True. Sorry, I little unicorn amused me for some reason and I, I can't. I just can't. I'm tired, Jonathan. I'm so tired. I can't it's okay, buddy. All right. Well, let's jump into our other categories. Um, let's start with books this week, Robert. What have you been reading? Since we're on sabbatical of Delta Green, I've been kind of avoiding reading other gaming product because I've been trying to keep my head stuffed full of Impossible Landscape, but I've got kind of a nice break. And let me tell you, 
I, I, I want to finish Impossible Landscapes, but it's kind of nice having a break and, and keeping all the Yellow King in my head. I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> I'm laughing because I've been reading the Yellow King. <laughs> I did a Kickstarter quite a while ago for uh, John Tynes's uh, Delta Green The Labyrinth, and I, I never read it. And so I'm like, well, I want to keep my head full of Delta Green for some reason. So I started reading that gaming product. And it's interesting. It's an interesting book. So the way it breaks down is they give you eight fictional organizations slash cults slash whatever. Um, Four of them could be, you know, allies and four of them can be uh, antagonists. Yeah, they give you sort of a detailed breakdown of, you know, what they are and what they do. And then they give you sort of a outline of how to use them in a game and basically like the way that you're supposed to use them is uh, you're supposed to use them kind of as like maybe like a B plot, I guess you could say for, you know, some of the stories. And then eventually it, you know, sort of spirals into being an A plot story to kind of resolve, but it's, it's interesting. So I had this idea cause they gave me, I, because I've got two Delta green Kickstarters, I have a ton of adventures for it and like using something from the labyrinth and then playing all those adventures, I think could make a little game and it would be nice because it'd have a beginning, middle and end because there would be a contained story of like the B plot. And then once that's over, that would be kind of like the finale. So, cause I've been thinking, I, I like impossible landscapes. Don't get me wrong, but that is not a traditional Delta green campaign. And I'm kind of jonesing to actually run something like that. Cause that does have its own, I don't know, pleasantries. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we're not using, like, the bond system hardly at all, you know? And, yeah, something where we have shorter, more contained adventures that only take a session or two to sort of resolve, and then we get to do the home stuff and watch your character's lives slowly disintegrate. That sounds that sounds interesting. I kind of want to do that. So, Also, I realized we could probably finish Impossible Landscapes in three, probably with us, probably closer to four or five sessions. But, yeah, we're getting close to the end, all told. I am so. excited to see the end of this. So I mean, I've been kind of thinking about what's what's going to be the next step. What do I want to do? But whatever. I've been enjoying the break. Delta Green Labyrinth, though. Interesting book. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. I like it. Also, I picked up uh, I picked up some anthology, and I don't even remember the title of it. I could look it up, but it doesn't really matter. And the only reason I got it is because Robert W. Chambers, uh, it's the only thing at the library I could find that had a story of his that wasn't The Yellow King, because that's apparently what he's remembered for. And, uh, I, I just wanted to see how he wrote and I am, I, I, I sat down and I tried to start reading it and it was, it was kind of insufferable cause it's supposed to be this like detective story, but it's just these two dudes talking about nonsense in like an office, like, you know, I, I'm assuming like a dimly lit, well, it's the turn of the century too. So I don't even know. I wouldn't even have noir tropes at that point. Cause it's not, you know, the thirties and the forties. So I don't even know. It's just, it's just kind of bad, Jonathan. Uh, reading older literature is always hard. There's been a couple moments in the Yellow King, even that I've, I've, I've uh, I'm not going to defend the Yellow King. Yeah, I, just kind of you, you bite your knuckles and you're like, oh, this is really difficult. Let's just make it through this. <laughs> oh yeah, are you talking about the uh, the Product white ethno state? Product of <laughs> the, the time. Are you talking about the white ethno state that they talk about in the repair of reputations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just yeah, <laughs> kicks right off the bat with that. Just let, yeah, let, I know. Let's get that out of the way. This is where we stand. All right then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, good old fashioned racism. Oh, thanks, 1800s. 18, I think you wrote that in 1890, I want to say. Yeah. So, yeah. It, so it predates Dracula. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, like, I get it. It's a product of its time. I, I, I You know, it is what it is, but uh, it never makes it any easier to see. No, no, it doesn't. Well, speaking of which, you, you said you read the, uh, the, the King in Yellow. 
since well, we're I'm, talking I'm, about chambers. Well, uh, I'm five or six stories through it right now. Oh, uh, so you've done the, the good ones. The, the so I'm, about, ones. I'm about halfway. I think I'm just about the halfway point. Have you have you done the the romance one, the Demswell Dees? Dees, I think that's. Is that the one with the the pool that turns things into no. statues? No, that's the uh, that's the mask. Is that the one where uh, the guy falls in love with his model? No, that's that's the yellow sign. That's that's actually my favorite. In that, yeah, movie. it was an interesting one. By far the most interesting of the bunch so far. Yeah, no, it was the one that actually genuinely gave me creeps. Uh, maybe I've started the romance one. Maybe I'm, that's what I'm on right now. Hold on, give me one sec. Ah, reach. Ah. Yeah, the yellow sign is fourth. So let's see. I didn't even think there were that many in there. I, I've only read the other ones once because they're they're kind of kind of not great. Although the romantic one is kind of amusing just for the sake of it being kind of a romance novel, which I found kind of amusing in the middle of this, you know, kind of creepy book. Okay, masculine sign. Yeah, Demsuel. Yeah, you should. It's the one about the the guy who's running around the moor and runs into the falcon lady. Oh, that's the one I'm on right now. That's the one okay. I'm on right now. Okay, yeah, that's the Demsuel. Okay, so you're on the fifth one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's running into the falcon lady and he's going back with them for dinner. Yeah, yeah. That one's terrible. Not terrible. That one is so record scratch off the what's been going on. So anyway, you've read the important ones. So uh, we already discussed Repair of Reputations has a little bit of good old fashioned racism in it. Not the least of which they also mentioned that they uh, that they somewhere in the south, they uh, they made a uh, a place for all of the uh, African-American people to not be African-Americans anymore, but African I think it was called Samoa or something. They, there was some goofy country name for it. It was some goofy. It, the, the, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That, that entire section. Yeah. A, yeah. A adds absolutely nothing to the story. B just hanging it right out there. Yes. Yes. So, okay. So, well, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's what's interesting about the first story. Uh, that dude is not a reliable narrator. Like that dude's crazy. So let me ask you a question. Like all that stuff. Did, did, the guy in, from the first story? Yeah, the guy in the first story. In, in, oh, yeah. Uh, he's, he's off kilter from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Did any of that ever actually happen? Like his whole thing about the way this world is, is that real? Or is he just oh, experiencing that because he no, hit his head? No, I, I, I think that that's, <laughs> that's what he sees. I don't think yeah. that that's what everybody else sees. That's clear by the way they, they handle him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the whole thing is a construct in his own mind. Well, other other than the good old fashioned racism, uh, what did you think of that first one? Because that's that's where they introduce Mister Wild, who you've now met in the Impossible Landscapes. Yeah, no, I mean, like the the it's it's interesting. I I don't know exactly what to think of it because the whole thing is basically the narration of a crazy person. You so you just really don't know how to take everything. Yeah, that's what I I kind of liked about it when I read it because when I read it, I just sort of took it at face value that this was some sort of like alternate 1920s because you know it was written in the 18, you know the guy was writing about the near future of 1920, and uh, I kind of took that at face value. Um, but then after reading it, I, it, it by the end of it, it becomes very clear that he's not a very reliable narrator. Uh, I don't know. I found that interesting. No, that that that's the that's probably the twistiest one by far. Yeah, the, the one that I that was most interested in the twist. Yeah. So the second one, the mask. By the way, these are huge spoilers for the King of Yellow. If you ever intend to read a, I mean, it's a two hundred uh, or no one hundred and what thirty year old thirty book? Yeah. one year old book. So I think I think we're 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 into spoiler territory. It's okay. 
Okay, so the mask is the one about the alchemist that can turn things to stone, which I love that one because, like, he thinks he has an M. Night Shyamalan level twist at the end that you see coming, like, 12 <laughs> miles away. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time, Robert. It was a different time. Because, yeah, man, that punch is telegraphed by, um, country mile. <laughs> You saw him rearing up from the very first description of the goldfish. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. <laughs> Look how clever I am now, mofo. We got this on, like, page two. <laughs> but it was a different time. At the time, I would suspect that that was probably a really exciting twist. <laughs> oh, I kind of love that. I love how just in love he is with his own genius. He's like, Look what's coming, guys. Look what's coming. It's like, we know. We I did something clever. <laughs> no, you didn't. All right. So the third one's uh, in the court of the dragons about the guy living in Paris and he's in church and then uh, he tries that to get home. That creep me out. Yeah. Especially at the good. end where, where, where like it turns out that the squishy body was actually just a corpse that's been in his house this whole time. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. gross. Also explain why the guy's finger fell off. Yeah. Yeah. In the court. Okay. And then fourth is uh, the yellow sign, which is about the artist and his model. Tessie. That I like one I like. One. One, I like that, that one a, a lot. a good, solid, proper creep show. Yeah, yeah. It's it's unsettling in all the right ways. It it kind of the the description of the 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 grave guy, the grave the grave watcher or whatever. He's he's creepy. Yeah, yeah. I like that one a lot. That one's by far my favorite. They made a John Tynes wrote a movie uh, based off or wrote a movie of that and it takes place in the modern day and it's not nearly quite as good um mainly because they just didn't have the budget for the grave dude to be scary it's just some kind of yeah. like chubby guy <laughs> what, what, what this needs to be honestly like netflix needs to pick up on this or hbo and they just need to make it a, a single season series it could be really interesting bring in a different writer director combo for for every episode intriguing yeah i wouldn't mind doing that especially because you'd have the random romance in there i think that's it for the stories though i think after that it's just poetry Oh, okay. All right. Well, then I'm almost done with the stories. Yeah, after that, it's just po- poetry. Is it worth? Is it good poetry or or crap poetry? How about it's short poetry? So you know, <laughs> does does he think it's a lot more clever than it is? <laughs> no. No, there's a story after the poetry. Did I ever read this? I can't even remember. Well, I'll get through it all. I'll get through it all. Just take some time. Just take some time. So um, overall, overall, what, what what do you think? I mean, it's dated. Yeah, it, it it's dated in storytelling style. It, you're right. Like, what was very clever in 1890 just doesn't hold up in 2021. <laughs> We've done much better. Um, but that being said, like, there's some good core stories there. Like, I I there's some stuff in there that I think would be very, very interesting to see remade in a modern take. You know what I mean? Yeah. With a modern storytelling. Uh, Well, I did do a little bit of additional reading. Um, Beyond the King in Yellow, I did finish up Breakaway, which I was reading at the end of last episode. So I I did manage to finish that up. That was book 12 or 13 in the Expeditionary Force series. Wow. And then um, I know this is going to be riveting, um, but I'm also reading a really interesting book. Uh, If you have to deal with data in your job in any way, shape, or form, and you're trying to visually represent that data for an audience that has not been diving through your statistical analysis like you are, I would highly recommend a book called Data Points 
by Nathan Yao, visualization that means something. Um, it has been helping me to really redefine how I, I do a lot of my work analyses. It's really good. Like it's a good book that, that looks at statistical analysis, visual statistical analysis from a layman's point of view in a way that you can instantly gain traction with at work. It's, uh, yeah, I've been having a really good time with it. It was recommended by a coworker, and I'm so glad that they said something because it's amazing. It's a really good book. Well, okay then. Uh, what about, uh, we've been taking a break from RPGs, so we're going to skip that. What about video games? What video games have you been playing? So, so I'm having a weird thing with Ring Fit. So I, I beat I get, beat the game plus, and the thing, it annoyed me after I finished it because what they let you do after that point is they let you do, all the exercises are like RPG attacks, so they have cooldowns, right? But after that, they give you everything, and there is no cooldowns. And I am inherently kind of lazy by nature, and so I will probably just end up doing the exercise that is easiest for me to do and does the maximum amount of damage if it doesn't matter. And that's kind of a problem because it doesn't, you know, getting sort of forced to do other things was a problem. So I rebooted my game <laughs> after day 200. So now I'm on day nine of my <laughs> Ring Fit Adventure. Uh, and how's so, that going? Uh, all right. I'm just kind of playing the original game again. I'm thinking about going back because they have a random button to just do a random exercise. And I might just keep pushing that for the game plus plus and see how that goes. Because then it will force me to do random stuff if I make myself do that. So I'm going to give that a go tomorrow. I just had this bright idea today, but yeah, nice. Yeah. So there you go. Still it's uh 80 bucks for now. What? 209 days of, you know, working up a sweat. Ain't bad. Yeah, bad return on my investment, I think. No, no, I think uh, I think your money's worth, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, and other than that, I've been, uh, I like I said last time, I got the Planet Coaster. I've been working my way through the scenarios. I'm trying to teach myself how to make that game work, you know, like making stuff and making it pretty and whatnot. Yeah. So I started watching this uh, YouTube channel called Geekism because he was playing that game and I wanted to like vicariously play that game because I couldn't play it at the time because there wasn't a console edition. Now I've got it and I'm like, well, what should I do? And part of me, he, he did this series where he made a theme park based around his channel. So he built rides based off of the other games he was playing. And I'm like, what if I made a park that was the Forgot My Dice Park? Ooh, and it was, I like where this is going. And, and it was based off of all the nonsense that you and I do. There's plenty to draw from. Yeah, yeah. So I've been, I've been kind of like brainstorming that and thinking about it, but I need to I need to get a handle on the systems more before I can do it. But yeah, I was thinking about doing a, uh, a McAllister building kind of in the vein of the, the Tower of Terror, you know, because they have that <laughs> ride. I love that ride. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking I'd have to put a Dracula ride in because we talk about Dracula in one shape or another a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I, I got a brainstorm. I'm kind of working on it. I need to throw some more board game stuff in. Um, I don't know how I'd make a welcome to ride or anything. I, I, I don't know. I haven't chosen any board games yet. I was thinking uh, they have like a roller coaster that's like you know, uh, uh, you remember Knott's Berry Farm, the, uh, the 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 racing one. I forget what it was called. Um, I do remember it, but I don't remember what it's. Yeah, called. they they kind of have that style. Well, it's not not entirely that style, but they have this one that looks like it's like you're riding mo motorcycles. And I was thinking like, what if you made a motorcycle roller coaster and like themed it around James Bond, like a motorcycle chase from like never say never again or something like that. 
And uh, and then I was going to, I have to make some sort of coaster for DCS World. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm just sort of brainstorming ideas at this point and thinking about how I want to do it. But yeah, I think I'm going to get to that sooner or later. Try to make a, a park themed around our podcast. And then I could put it on the workshop and then people can download it and it will be stealthy advertising for us. I like it. I'm down. I think that's yeah. a great plan. <laughs> I'm especially fond of this plan because I don't have the time to help you do it. And I know that you can do it on your own. Yes. Yes. Although if you have any bright ideas, I'll, I'll send you stuff whenever I start working on it and I'll have to get your opinion. So that, that is about the extent of what you're committing to in this, I guess. I am more than happy to give you ideas. I just can't act on them. I just don't have any extra time right now. Well, you also don't have the game, so it doesn't matter. Um, but I have flirted with buying it several times. Like I would probably jump in. It would not take much to get me to jump in. Oh, uh, okay. Well, also, uh, you'd have to get the console edition because I don't think we could transfer stuff between other things. So anyway, anyway. This is, this is my deal. This is my deal. This is my fun. I, I needed a theme to work around, you know, because a lot of people make like pseudo Disney parks or whatever. And I'm like, I'll make a forgot my dice park. Why not? We'll give me some themes to work with. There's plenty of zaniness to pull from. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Got almost five years worth at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to do a Dragon this? Quest ride, but I want to do a D&D ride. And I don't think the two of those mix very well. You have to do one or the other. I don't know. Anyway. What, what have you been playing, Jonathan? Uh, let's see. What have I been playing? Not a ton. Been real busy at work lately, so I have not had a lot of chance to sit down and play video games. Uh, I have played through Forza 7 some more. Um, I have been uh, just kind of itching for that simulation racing space, so I decided to crank that back up and work through that a little bit more. Um, I actually took out my... Um, my wheel for my computer and uh I, I was teaching amelia how to drive she was having a great good time <laughs> nice did i not send you that video no oh, i'll have to send that to you you're gonna laugh uh what else have i been doing um and then i started playing yakuza and i looked on the internet and it said i should play yakuza zero first so i popped that in for a couple hours and then um i i mentioned to you that i was playing yakuza and you're like no no don't play zero play one instead so now i need to go and restart well, it's like, it's like, it's like, seriously, Jonathan, are you supposed to watch the Star Wars prequels first? I don't know. That's an open-ended question. I, I would argue that you're not because a prequel, the idea of it is you are basically getting backstory for this thing that you already love. But if you don't already love it, getting this backstory is meaningless. And Yakuza is the same way. You're going to see these like origins of characters that you don't give a crap about. And th the problem is because Yakuza Zero happened, uh, uh, publishing speaking between five and six, um, it's going to be based off of their characterizations from the later part of the series, which is not necessarily how they line up with the beginning of the series when you first get introduced to them. You know, characters kind of evolve. And like there's one character in particular, I forget his name, but he gets impressive or increasingly more zany as the series progresses. And then when you play zero, he's like that level of zany. And so it'll be a really weird shock when you get introduced to that guy for the first time. And he's just kind of normal. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you're supposed to watch the prequel first. I, I, I don't think media is designed that way. I mean, well, I get why I, they I did the prequel. I didn't get much into it. So that that's fine. I should be able to go back and redo it easy. Enough. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the the order you should do it in is Yakuza one through five, and then you play zero, and then you play the sixth one, and then you can the play nice like thing is they're all on Game Pass, which is great. Like that's like I'm I'm loving Game Pass more and more every day. Yeah, it's a it's heck of a deal. It's a heck of a deal. It's making me think about getting an Xbox. 
I mean, for 15 bucks a month, uh, you'd be hard pressed. There's like 200 games you can choose from. Yeah, and it costs. the. It, it's like the cost of four games and they've got so much stuff that's going to be day one. You know, honestly, I'm, I'm probably not going to do it until the first price drop of the Xbox, because that'll be like a year or two from now. And you yeah, know. it's about when they should be back in stock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, looking at you, <laughs> still looking for a PlayStation 5. Not bitter at all. Nice. Yeah, I'm bitter. I'm bitter at this point. I am that's bitter. F- that's fair. Even though there's not a damn thing I can play on it. Like, it's not like there's any exclusives out. I'm not Spider-Man missing Spider-Man game's pretty good. Although those are on four, I guess. But they're prettier on five. Is Yakuza... Uh, like a dragon. <sighs> yeah, like a dragon. Is that... What is that? That's technically seven. So in Japan, Yakuza like a dragon is just called Yakuza 7. And one through zero and six uh, are this one guy's story and six ends this one dude's story and seven is about a new guy. And that's why they shift it to a JRPG and have turn-based combat instead of it being a brawler. And all future games are going to be the, the JRPG because apparently uh, Yakuza like a dragon sold way better than any of the other Yakuza games, both in Japan and in North America. Huh? So there, so there you go. It's this weird series. Like there's so many of them. Yeah. 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 And it's so, it's so serious and so goofy simultaneously. I kind of love it. You know, it's like, uh, it's almost farce on like the level of the Naked Gun movies, you know? Because they play it straight. Like everybody who's acting in it plays it completely straight. But like what's going on is so ludicrous. <laughs> well, one of the voice actors, don't ask me which one. I, I don't know the characters yet. But one of the voice actors definitely sounds like he's been smoking a pack a day. <laughs> For a long time. Yeah, but I know in Yakuza Part 1, like one of the things that you can do, like one of the side games that you can do is a slot car <laughs> racing. And when you go slot car racing, your rivals are like children. And when you win, you like rub it in children's faces. That's that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Yeah, you but know? I mean, like, couldn't you make the argument that gangsters are probably growing up man children anyway like yeah but uh, that actually works in a big way but you see what i mean like it's kind of this almost this level of farce because they're supposed to be these scary yakuza guys and then they're sitting there like playing slot car races against children and like you know getting way into it there's a lot of kook in these games yeah just a lot it's just weird kook yeah yeah also what's fun is if you go to the arcades they usually have direct ports of sega arcade games which is fun I was playing Hang On when I was playing Like a Dragon. Oh, I love that game. Yeah. I played the Living Daylights out of that game. Yeah. My my 7-Eleven had a Hang On machine, uh, but the, the half cabinet where you had the, the handlebars that you steered with, but it wasn't like the sitting on the motorbike version. Sitting on a motorbike is tight. Like that was a good, that was a good version yeah. of it. And then the, they also had the, the half afterburner arcade where you had the flight stick and the throttle, uh, but it was a stand-up machine. It wasn't the sit down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then the nickel arcade for twenty cents, you could go and play the uh, the the fully animated one with the pitching chair. Oh, that was the that was great, man. Yeah, that was always fun. All right, well, let's jump over to board games, Robert. What have you been playing? Well, we've been playing two things together. Yes, we finally finished our Beyond the Sun, which took us what a month. Yeah, yeah, I I completely lost track of what I was doing at some point in there. I I didn't even know anymore. I think I did all right in the end. I did not. I, I, I was third by a mile. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, 
that's not a good way to learn that game. Like, I think if I if we had some plays of uh, of the actual game in, like two or three more, I think I could do better because I'd have more of an idea of what to do. But yeah, as a second time playing that game, I I was still pretty lost. Like, I knew the mechanics of the game, but I didn't know what was good. <laughs> yeah, it's a story of my life. And then we uh, we've been playing uh, Seven Wonders over on the board game arena too. And I love that game. Drafting's fun. Yeah, that game never does get old, does it? Like it's it's always enjoyable. I've I've never had a, a unenjoyable game of it. Yeah, I'd love to play it in real life again. I miss playing games. Yeah, I know what you mean. And if the the numbers in my area are anything, it looks like we're going to be going back to no <laughs> no touchies real soon. What really? Yeah, they're, they're Texas they're to, where you, they're entering where orange again. Where where you're below forty percent vaccination. Really? Um, in my area, we're, we're at like 60%, so at least we got that going for us. Well, I've had a couple others that I've been playing. Um, in, pre- uh, in preparing for our deep dive of it, I've been playing some Hadrian's Wall. That, that'll that be coming up real soon on the deep dive schedule. Um, speaking of deep dives, uh, we're going to be deep diving Aliens Bug Hunt later this episode, so I'm not going to talk about that, but I've been playing a lot of that. Uh, and then Warp's Edge, which we deep dove a couple episodes ago, I have been playing uh, pretty relentlessly because it's such a good little one-player game. I'm having so much fun with it. Hmm. Uh, a couple of classics uh, played Forbidden Island uh, over at uh, at Dale's house. Actually, I went over and hung out with them for a few minutes, and we played a, a round of Forbidden Island, and that's a fun little co-op game. Fun little co-op game. Nice. Uh, and then uh, I have taught Welcome to to so many people at this point. I taught it to Dale. Uh, what do you think? Taught it to Hi, one Dale. of Dale's co-workers. Hi, Dale. Uh, we uh, we had a lot of fun with it. And I think, you know, being that he's in the home building industry, it, it struck a little close to home. And he was like, oh, look, this is like work, but fun. Oh. Waka, waka, waka. But uh, no, uh, I, I, I think that uh, Blue Cocker and Deep Water uh, should just put me on the payroll because I think I've sold five copies of this game now to, co- to friends and co-workers. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I'm like, hey sit down we'll, we'll play this real quick i'm gonna teach this to you and then uh inevitably they go out and buy their own copy so it's it's i mean it's a testament to how good the game is that people want to play it yeah uh yeah but that's about it um uh, so shall we round it out with some uh, movies and tv uh yes please spoiler free loki discussion that show is awesome yeah agreed i don't know what to say that's not a huge spoiler for it i'm enjoying it as much as WandaVision, but in a different way. And I love the Doctor Who vibe, and it totally tickles me. Yeah, I'm really excited for the last episode, but at the same time, completely sad that it's the last episode. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. What else have you been watching? I watched one of what the is weirdest... Closed for Storm? Oh, you want me to talk about that first? Okay. Yeah, I'm curious. Okay, okay, so there's a YouTube channel I watch called... Uh, it's called Bright Sun Films. Uh, I started watching it when he he did a series called Abandoned where he just kind of goes urban exploring. But So he'll like go urban exploring in like a building, but then he'll talk about the history of the building and why it's now abandoned. And uh, I don't know. I kind of like it. He does. He's done one called Cancelled, and he's done one... You know, he has a whole bunch of these. So he started doing an episode about Six Flags New Orleans... Uh, which, oh uh, man, that's, that's a crazy place. Yeah. That, that, that theme park was only open for like five years, I think before. Yeah. It I th- yeah. Something like that. Something like four or five. Yeah. Barely, barely any time. 
but yeah, and then it just grew out of proportion. And so he released it as a 90 minute plus feature length movie that I actually bought on, uh, I bought it on Apple, but you can buy it on anything, Amazon, you know, YouTube, it's all there. Um, I bought it cause I've, I've been watching this guy's stuff for years. Like when I first started getting into YouTube, he's one of the first things I found. And, uh, he's, he's just kind of a big Canadian goober. Like I've seen, you know, I I've seen, he's appeared on camera a couple times and he's just this. He's just this goober. He's just this delightful young man. And so I'm like, you know what? You could have 15 of my dollars. The front half of the movie I liked a lot better than the second half. Um, the front half, like he stumbled onto a really good idea, which is talking about Hurricane Katrina through the eyes of the people who worked at that park. Oh, that's interesting. Because like, yeah, because it was, it, that's what the first half of the movie is about. Like it's about all the people, it, it's, you know, it people who worked at the park talking about working at the park, what they liked about the park, kind of the history of the park, Hurricane Katrina. And then it talked about a little bit what happened after. And then like the last half hour of it uh, goes into what has been going on with that land and since then. And which is to say nothing, the park's just been sitting there rotting now for almost 20 years. And uh, which is kind of sad. And, you know, talking to some of the locals who, you know, can look out their backyard and just see this decaying waste of a, a theme park, because while Six Flags removed some of the rides to salvage and send elsewhere, like uh, several of them, they didn't. They're, they're just sitting there rotting. And uh, yeah, that part wasn't as interesting because that was just, you know, like local politics and talking to people. And, and I guess he wasn't a big enough filmmaker that he could talk to all of the people who were putting in bids for the current round of what's going to go on there. So like the person he follows ends up not getting, not advancing. And so what she was trying to do with that land just kind of dies. And it it was just kind of like a weird thing to do in a documentary because usually they, they show the people who, you know, air quote win. And I'm like, yeah, he, he, he was really onto something with talking about hurricane Katrina through the eyes of people working in that park. That would have been much more interesting to finish out the back half of that than uh than what he did but overall it was still good it was fun and the first an hour of of you know learning about hurricane katrina and the history of that park through the eyes of the people that worked there was actually really good and uh the reason it's called closed for storm is that's literally what they put on the sign for six flags uh new orleans closed for storm and it's been on that sign since then it has not Uh, come off it's still up there today i would suspect that that park has got an awful lot of creepy going on in it Oh yeah, no, he, he, he runs around it, uh, you know, cause that's, that's part of his gimmick. So yeah, there's a, there's a segment where he's running around the park at night and it is a little creepy. <laughs> like they go into like the offices and, and yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty cool, but yeah. Anyway, if you want to spend 15 bucks, uh, definitely worth it. I, I will bet you money that will end up on a streaming service somewhere if I spot it somewhere. Enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've seen worse documentaries on Netflix and stuff. So somebody'll pick it up somewhere. So <laughs> man, some days Netflix does feel like a truck stop DVD bin, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Although I got to say Amazon's much more guilty of that. Yes, true, true. So yeah, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Like I I, I have some quibbles or whatever with the but it ultimately it's still it's still a fun documentary. It, it'll end up streaming somewhere. Someone'll pay him a pile of money to stream that on something, I'm sure. And, and I got to say, I, I would have felt a little cheated if it just felt like a very long episode of his YouTube show. But no, it, you know, it actually had music. It had a lot of interviews because he usually doesn't get maybe he'll interview one person. But this had a lot of people. And it wasn't like an interview over Zoom, which is also something he typically does. This was like an interview like in person uh, with several people, like a good dozen people. So that, that was pretty cool. So, yeah, no, it was it was it was definitely worth it. It was a definite upgrade from his YouTube shenanigans. Well, they're you also quite good. Bright Sun Films. 
Um, I have been watching, uh, well, actually, I finished watching season three of F1 Drive to Survive. Um, if you are looking for a really expertly done documentary series that captures the drama of a sport, even if you're not into that sport, I highly, highly recommend F1 Drive to Survive. It is it is remarkably well done because it captures the people more than it captures the cars. And that's that's what why it, it does what it does so darn well, you know? Like the the people are the the star here, not not the cars. And that's that's where so many of these sport documentaries go wrong is they get enamored with the with the other aspects of it. This this concentrates on the drama. And it, you realize just how much drama there is in this sport. It's it's quite neat. <laughs> And I grew up with Formula One, so I mean, I'm I am a big fan of the sport, but I can tell you that I think that this would appeal to people even if they do not traditionally watch motor racing, because this isn't about motor racing. Like one of the one of the team principals goes as far as to say, like the the interviewer uh, interviewer asks him something along the lines of, you know, what does it uh, what does it take to manage um, race car drivers, and he just comes right out and says, well. You have to remember that these are abandoned little children that while the rest of the kids were out having fun, they were sitting on a on a racetrack freezing in the rain. And so you have to remember that and basically be a really stern parent. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap, don't pull a punch or anything. Yeah, tell us what you really think. So, yeah, like that, that should give you a little 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 preview that this is uh, it, it is very, very frank about its subject matter. And I, I say that in a good way. Well, Jonathan, I have been watching the Netflix animated anime whatever series Godzilla Singular Point. Yeah, you texted me about this a couple times. It, I'm, I'm very curious to watch it. It is really bizarre. It's one of the most bizarre anythings I've seen in a really, really long time. Carlos had me watch an episode of the Pacific Rim one, and I, that was the exact thing that I came away from the Pacific Rim one with. This Okay, so... I, I haven't watched the Pacific Rim one, so I can't compare it, but like, okay. I've only watched the one episode, so keep that in mind. I'm not, by in no means an expert. So I'm on record on this podcast as saying that any Godzilla movie only works if you give a crap about the human characters, right? Because otherwise it's just yeah. watching someone else play we, video we, game. We both had that discussion. Okay, okay. So Godzilla singular point, it's the human characters are almost like, it's almost like this weirdly separate series like Fringe. <laughs> or the X-Files or something like it's really more fringe. It's, it's very weird. And it's about this like team of misfits, like investigating, well, you know, basically why giant monsters are showing up, but with this weird, like fringe, weird science where they've discovered this particle that exists both in the past and in the future and now, and learning how to manipulate it to, to do stuff. Like it's, it's really weird. <laughs> but it's kind of awesome. Also, there's AI because it takes place in 2030. <laughs> also, there's AI. Yeah, I I don't know how to describe it. The if if I think I, that might be the episode title. <laughs> if I sat here and explained the plot to you, it would be really stupid. Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's that's how I felt about that uh, Pacific Rim thing. But even, even by Pacific Rim standards, which is to say it all a lot, you know? Yeah, now this no, don't get me wrong, this was really good. Like the the team of of these misfits, it's it is good. It's fun to watch and just they're th this weird fringe science stuff that they're chasing all around the world and whatnot. It's still kind of weird and fun to watch. It I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, but I liked it. I liked it a lot. And and it's got a plus out of me because it tried to it tried and succeeded actually 
to redeem one of the most maligned characters in all of Godzilla, Jet Jaguar. Jet Jaguar is awesome in that anime. I love <laughs> Jet Jaguar. Nobody likes Jet Jaguar. That's normal. That's a normal reaction. <laughs> well, I, Godzilla vs. Megalon was one of those first Godzilla movies I really remember getting like the video cassette of when I was a kid. Like I, it's very tactile for me and I, I know it's terrible. Like I, it's a bad movie, but I have memories like that. Yeah. Like, I, I very clearly remember, um, when my parents got me empire strikes back yeah. on beta max. Cause my dad was convinced that beta was going to be a thing. Well, it was in Europe. He just lived in the wrong country. Well, that makes sense because he spent, a lot of time in Europe. But yeah, yeah. No, Godzilla Singular Point, it's it's a good watch. It's a good watch. I, I honestly cared a lot about the human characters. And when they were in danger from giant ro- monsters, not giant robots, uh, it was scary. And, and Jet Jaguar is like a character in it. And, and you root for Jet Jaguar. Jet Jaguar is awesome. That in and of itself is an awkward sentence. <laughs> yes, yes, the robot. Said no one ever. Yes, the robot named Jet Jaguar, who is neither a jet nor a jaguar. And that- <laughs> <laughs> that's like something you'd run into in that Yakuza game. Like that's the kind of lunacy that, that you get. Yeah. And guess what? Spoiler alert, but I don't care. Jet Jaguar does eventually fly in the series. They give Jet Jaguar the ability to fly with a backpack. No jets. It's with uh, propellers. <laughs> <laughs> there was a chance there. There was a chance and they didn't take it. You know, I kind of think they did that on purpose. It would not surprise me, but whatever. I, I, I Is that lo- like uh, in Airplane when they use the propeller uh, sound on the jet engine? No, no, no. It's it's a propeller, and they don't ever explain why they call Jet Jaguar Jet Jaguar, but does not look like a Jaguar. Has no jets. I, I don't understand. Doesn't even get jets. I love it more for not giving him jets, for just running with it. Just holding on to the... the <laughs> just holding on to it. Just running with it. So, thumbs up Sometimes for me. Sometimes that's all you can do. Yeah. Sometimes that's all you can do is just... Hold on and don't forget who you are. Yeah. So, yeah, would recommend. You should watch it. <laughs> and Godzilla's creepy as F in that. Creepy, gross as F. Well, now I'm really curious. Yeah, it's it's very, it's channeling Shin Godzilla a lot in its portrayal of Godzilla. Although Godzilla looks a little bit more traditional. But, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a weird, it's a weird show, man. It's a weird show. And and actually all of the various kaiju showing up, they, they have them show up in interesting ways because a, a lot of kaiju actually do show up in it. Um, but they're they're kind of reworked, I guess. I mean, if it's an anime, I can probably get Chloe to watch it with me. She might enjoy it. It's, it's bizarre. It's it's really weird. I But actually, she would probably like it. That's a good thing. You could you could have some daddy daughter time watching Singular Point. I think she'd enjoy it. I also like it because there's a, there's a lady main character in it who's a, I think she's a grad student. If not, she just got her doctorate because she's really young. She gets introduced because they call out her um, like the guy she works for to come and look at something and they send her. And it's really nice because even though she's dressed like a college student, which is to say she's wearing big glasses and a T-shirt and shorts and uh, and inappropriate footwear for running around a city. You know, at no point does anybody ever treat her like, you know, she, you know, it's like she introduces herself. She says, I'm good at this. And everybody's like, oh, okay. And then they just treat her like a, you know, respectful adult. And it's nice. What does it say about our society that we have to say that as look at how good this is? It's completely out of the ordinary. (laughs) It's not. I wish that that weren't the case. That, That that being the father of three daughters, that bugs the living daylights out of me. 
Yeah, well. But that's neither here nor there. Positive podcast, buddy. No, there's nothing. Hey, hey. Hey, ignoring that stuff isn't isn't is is. Oh no, I'm not trying to ignore it. it. it no, I'm but ignoring it or saying whatever, it's it's that is a negative. However, how about this? I would have accepted if somebody said you're young or you're dressed like a college student, like because she totally was through the whole anime, and everybody treats her seriously through the whole anime. It was just nice, like she's young and she's dressed like a college student, and nobody nobody cares. They, she just sort of explains herself, and people go like, oh okay. And they they just treat her like any other normal person. It's nice. They didn't even they didn't even go there. And and I'll also say this: there is an old dude in this anime, and he's not a pervy old guy. It's nice. He's he's just kind of a wacky old dude. Oh, we'll have our fair share of pervy old guys uh, real soon when we get to our our first Stephen King episode. Good <laughs> lord. Anyway, I started uh, Shadow and Bone. Is that the Netflix, Netflix series? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I only watched about the first three quarters of the first episode and I need to go back and finish it. I just, it was very, very late in the weekend. I'm enjoying it. It's an interesting world. I'm very curious to see where they take it. I am not going to watch anything from Netflix again until it gets to season three. <laughs> I can't blame you. This yeah. one is, is getting a season two. That's already confirmed. Yeah, no, but two seasons that it's done is, is far too common with streaming. Especially when they end uh, on cliffhangers. I don't want to get invested on something and then it ends in a cliffhanger. I just, I don't care. I know, I know. I know. It's the, only, the, it's the only reason I watched Umbrella Academy was after season two came out, they were talking about a season three and Netflix didn't immediately cancel it. So I'm like, okay, I might actually get a season three. I'll watch this then. <laughs> That's coming. That's coming. They're working on it. Yeah, I know. And uh, I, I broke my own rule with Witcher, but I like The Witcher, so whatever. Well, I mean, we're getting season two real soon. Yeah. So. And it really wasn't a cliffhanger so to speak so yeah yeah no i'm just tired of netflix canceling things with cliffhangers like it bugs me it's happened more than once now and and it, right. it seems to be the thing with streaming like they only give things two seasons and and then they they don't tell them they're ending and it's like just just let them resolve the the gosh darn plot for yeah yeah i'm with you on that you know if like, i that's why the show for a streaming service i would have that uh, that put in the contract that if if you want to cancel it that's fine but give me the opportunity to make a movie to wrap things up yeah all right. Uh, what else you got? I started watching you watch a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of vacation. So I wa- I started watching the the 2015 vacation again because um, the, the the guys are doing the D and D movie. So I just decided to watch it. And that was when Gina mentioned out loud that she hadn't seen the first two, or the first several, actually any of them except for the 2015 one. The, like, the originals? Yes. Yes. When Chevy Chase was funny. Oh. Yes. Yes. So we watched. Uh, <laughs> We're, we're almost done with the European vacation, but we watched the original vacation and then uh, we're, we're like two thirds of the way done with the uh, European vacation. And oh boy, Jonathan, have those movies not aged well. Wow. <laughs> no, it's no. been a long time since I've seen them. Yeah, no, they have not. They have not aged well at all. I mean, I want to be surprised, but I'm not. Yeah. Uh, we need to get done with European vacation. Then we'll watch Christmas in Vegas and then she can say she's seen all of them. And yeah. They haven't aged well. We'll see if they age better. I was thinking the reason the vacation series I think still exists is probably entirely hinged upon Christmas vacation because a lot of its humor yeah, has aged agreed. better because, you know, the humor is aimed at family shenanigans, which are a little bit more relatable, you know, like having two sides of the family together and, you know, butting heads like that's a thing, you know, that happens to real people. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the types of humor that haven't aged well in the first two movies, it just isn't present because it's, it's more of a Christmas movie. And because it's a Christmas movie, I think that's why it still exists. So there you go. So finish, finish us out, Jonathan. 
Uh, well, a couple of things that we probably won't be get, be able to go into any kind of detail on today. Um, I watched Black Widow, and I don't want to ruin anything, so we will pend that discussion. Uh, yeah, I haven't soon. seen it yet, so yeah. But, I mean, it's a Marvel movie, and I had fun. That's that's the most important part of it. Okay. Uh, and then I also watched The Tomorrow War on Amazon Prime. I can't and decide if I want to watch that or not. I want you to watch it just so we could talk about it, because I can't figure out whether I had a good time or not. Intriguing. And I need to talk through it. Okay. I mean, it's 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 a movie. Things blow up. I had fun um, with some things, but I can't I can't quite put my finger on why I didn't feel like I had a good time, even though I had a little bit of a good time. It's really weird. Like I, I want to discuss this with you, so I need you to watch it. Uh, okay, fine. Gina, we have to watch All this right, movie. So we'll, we'll 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 talk about it in a future episode. I would like to hear other people's thoughts on it too. Um, chime in in the discussion. I'm very curious to, to hear people's thoughts on this movie. One last thing, Jonathan. I had dinner with yes. Brendan, and it was delightful. Oh, did you say hi for me? I did. I did. Oh, shoot. Hold on. I got something for you. Are you going to be flipping it? me off in a picture? I feel like you are. No, no. I'm not going <laughs> to flip you off in a picture. Why would I flip you off in a picture? No, I'm not going to flip. I'm not that kind of person. Because it's funny. Because it's funny. I'm, I'm not that kind of person. I sent you something on your phone. Hey, Jonathan. No. Oh. Hey, yeah, so good. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are too much. Um, I wish there I could have been it. there. I wish I could have been there. <laughs> the pizza really place we it. went to is actually very nice. It was, I was pleasantly surprised. I still need to take my trip out there. If I wasn't already going to San Diego, I totally would. Yeah. I hear you. Anyway, wrap it up. All right, well, that uh, that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment, which means it's breaky-break time, and when we return, it will be time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. So come on back. We'll see you in a minute. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find the link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. Welcome back from the break. It is, of course, now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And there is some board game news, but not so much uh, other Yeah, I, I, I'm i a firm believer, and I only want to cover things that I care about, and nothing that I care about has happened. Well, how about everything that I care about is going to have already happened by the time this comes out, so there's no point in talking about it. We'll just talk about it next time. <laughs> well, I've got a couple stories, so I've got something yeah. we can talk about. Although, should we... 
Uh, Capstone games. Uh, I was wondering, oh, should, we, should we share the, the drama that is TSR part three and part four? Oh, I, you know what? I think we should do a retrospective once this whole thing calms down because we are now on part four of the TSR saga. Yeah. Just when I thought the whole thing got canceled, it got picked up by another Yeah, network. yeah, I know. And we're getting <laughs> another season of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, 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 I mean, it's been fun, but that's like all that's been going on. It's been sucking the life out of all the RPG stuff. It Makes does. good TV, man. <laughs> all right, well, let's jump into it. Uh, a couple things to talk about here. Capstone Games has made some announcements for the uh, remainder of the year. Uh, the first is Pipeline Emerging Markets, which is an expansion for their Pipeline game. Uh, which I am a big fan of because it's got art by Ian O'Toole, one of my favorite board game artists. And uh, I have flirted with Pipeline several times. I suspect that I will break eventually, and Pipeline will be mine. This expansion, Emerging Markets, is going to have five new modules that uh, you can add to the core game in any combination that you like. And uh, yeah, adds a lot of playability to an already very playable game. Then we have Lux Aterna, uh, which will be... Another in this interesting wave of solo games that we've talked a little bit about, uh, and that is um, their first solo game. Uh, It's going to be released in partnership with Frosted Games, and it is a game with art by Alex Lee and an original design by Tony Boydell. Um, So in the game, uh, you are in a ship, a member of a ship that is falling towards a black hole, and you're going to be trying to save yourself. So it's going to be a card-driven game. Uh, Cards are going to have multiple functions, which we always like to see. So uh, I will let you know. Honestly, this is enough on my radar that I might try and pick it up. I'm on this, like, single-player kick. Next up, Arkham Horror, the card game, is getting a new core set. And this is not an expansion. This is actually an update to the uh, the core set of the game. There's no gameplay changes. Rather, this is a quality of life improvement a different mix of cards, a different mix of components uh, that allows you to support up to four players in the initial campaign. If you recall, the original core set was really kind of designed to, to, to sell it to you twice to get four players going. Mm, okay. So this is really interesting. This is interesting. That's, that's one of my biggest regrets is that we never played that game. They have a Yellow King story too. Or a I Carcosin. love that game. I really, really like that game. Yeah. So there you go. That will be out uh, relatively soon. I believe it's scheduled for an October release. Although with shipping being what it is, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, I got more examples of that. I, I, oh man! Yeah, I've got. Yeah. I've had more delays because of that. My my friends in the industry have been talking about it nonstop. It's it's getting real bad. It's getting real bad. And if like if you back Kickstarters at all, this should be a concern to you because a lot of Kickstarter companies that have already charged for shipping are basically going to make no profit or owe money because of the the expanded shipping costs. It's it's not good. Yeah, well, I think that's part of the reason why news is starting to get a little light is because with all the shipping insanity, you know, if you're about to print a game and need to have it shipped, maybe you should just hold off on that a little bit. See if this shakes out in a couple months, you know? Yeah, that is a fair thing. Yeah. Truth be told. Anyway, continue. All right. Uh, next up, we have several announcements from Blue Orange that are aimed squarely at the younger market. The first game is for kids three and over, and it's called, and I love this, the Pancake Monster Game. 
And being that I have a kid that this would appeal to, I am seriously considering getting it because it has a giant pop-up pancake monster. Robert, you need to Google this right now. Pancake I'm monster. I'm way ahead of you, bro. Yes. So I was literally on the sea and cake when you said that. <laughs> it has a giant pop-up pancake monster. Oh, my God. His mouth uh, is way open. And you can see his uvula. I know. It's great, though, isn't it? Yeah. Or is it, so No, that's not his uvula. F- that's like a button. Is that a token? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that you you play the game by feeding the the monster pancakes by shoving them down his throat, and sometimes I don't know what triggers it, but sometimes he might bite back. Is is this the carrying case that you have? Like the game comes in this, or, or? I, I it know. looks like it comes in a box, but I don't know. Oh I my god, this I need monster's this huge! I this know. Monster's That's giant. what I'm saying. He's like Amelia sized. Yeah, I think Amelia. I think he could eat Amelia, which would be funny in and of itself. Yes, it would. Isn't he adorable, though? Yes. Tell me you don't need this in your life for the boys. I don't need this in my life for the boys. You're wrong. I Next probably question. am, but, but you told me to tell you that. <laughs> I'm giving you what you want, Jonathan. Uh, next up is a game for um, kids five and over, and that is Paco's Party. And in Paco's Party, you're trying to get rid of cards in your hand by playing them out and shouting uh, out uh, which other guests at the party or which item is missing from their card. It's about all I can find on this game. It looks adorable, and I, I like that it's for, for that age group because I'm always looking for, for games that I can get for the little ones. And then finally, uh, a game for kids six and over. Uh, it's called Wilson and Shep, and it is a semi-cooperative one-against-all game uh, where most of the players are going to be controlling a sheepdog. Uh, that is the Shep in the Wilson and Shep. And uh, they're going to be looking for a wolf named Wilson who is hiding and played by the single player. And uh, it, it's, it's kind of like a kid's My First Battlestar Galactica. I like it. Yeah. I, I You know, a lot of our listeners have kids. There you go. I thought this could, because it appealed to me, I thought maybe it would appeal to them too. And then finally, you know it, I know it. I think we've both even tried it at some point. Uh, Pandasaurus Games has announced Machi Koro 2. This is a full sequel to their bestseller, Machi Koro. It's from the original designers, uh, the original illustrators. Uh, it's going to be for two to five players, uh, rated 10 and up. And uh, you, if you've played Machi Koro, there's going to be a lot of things here that is f- are familiar, but with some different rules, some different cards to build your city, and some new zoning laws so that uh, you're going to have a limited budget to work with uh, from your starting uh, starting establishments. So it looks like some some big gameplay cha- gameplay changes for Machi Koro 2. And that is supposed to be also in October of this year, just in time for the holidays. Unless, of course, their ship went through the Suez Canal, in which case, maybe never. <laughs> and that's what I got. That is the news, my friend. And being that that brings us into the news, that it means it is time now for a king in all things. Our new 38-part series <laughs> on, on watching all the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of release date. And this being part one, we are going way back to 1976 when the world was a different, much more inappropriate place. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> November 3rd of 1976 from director Brian De Palma brought us what, Robert? We watched the original first Stephen King movie, Carrie, made for a budget of $1.8 million. It made $33.8 million, which, you know, that's a pretty good rate on your return, you know? 
What? Over 15 to 1? I'd take that. <laughs> so this is 1976, right? Yes. Hold on. I'm going to the good old inflation cal- uh, calculator. All right. I mean, that would still be considered low budget by today's standards, too. It was not a big budget movie. It would be considered like $8 million by today's money. $8.3 mm. to be exact. Yeah, that sounds about standard horror movie fair. Man, where See, do we th- begin with this thing? What oh, a, my God. I mean, I, I know you're going to need to bleep it out, but what a <laughs> show. Wow. Wow. Where do you so, want to start with this? Because so speaking my of movies God, that have so not aged well. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, I was I was really surprised. I I I knew I knew we Let's were start with the opening scene because it needs to be said. It needs to be said. Yes. Yeah, that's what I knew I was in for a fun treat. Like the, I <laughs> opening scene was like, whoa. Four minutes of weird dreamlike ladies locker room of girls that are probably supposed to be in, you know. They're supposed the, to be 16. They said Carrie yeah. is 16 and there's so yeah. much nudity. Why are they sexualizing <laughs> teenagers? That's not okay. Well, <laughs> Let's be fair. As a none parent, these, it was so gross. None of these air quote teenagers were. No, they were all in their 20s. Was, they were all in their 20s. But <laughs> no, it's, no, it's mid to late 20s, shooting. Jonathan. Mid to late 20s, which is a, another entire problem, which we'll get to in a minute. But yes, but, yeah. But, yes, but why, they're shooting a high school locker room like it's the set of a softcore porn. <laughs> it was so gross. It was so yeah. gross. Yeah, it was. And there's so many different ways that you could have gotten over the plot point of Carrie had her menstrual cycle for the first time and had no idea what it was. Like you didn't need to do it with excessive nudity in a lady's locker room. That was not there's no there's no point to the damn thing. I I I kind of vaguely remember the scene, but I watched on TV. So they filmed they filmed a clean version of this. They filmed a a not nudified version of this. And and I I, I confirm that. There there is the so, TV version. So weird and gross. Yeah, and then like, like the the lingering minutes of Carrie washing herself, <laughs> like yeah, what why? was with that? Like it yeah. was so like she's in high school, not okay. No, no, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was just the beginning of this this tour de force of life has changed for the better. Yeah, the amount of ladies getting slapped for you know what the hell was that all about? <laughs> yeah. Like the slap per minute ratio was was high. It wasn't high. I counted five, I think, but still, it was it was a lot by today's standards. No, there standards. was a couple more. Don't forget about the slow mo one in the end. Oh in yeah, the sequence that wouldn't end. Yeah. My God, Brian De Palma. I get it. You like the slow mo? Yeah. He, okay. Yeah, we get it. But he was the know, Zack Snyder of his day. He 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 made ten seconds of film into a. 15 minute sequence. If I saw that damn bucket vibrating one more time, I was probably going to lose my, 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 what few marbles I had. <laughs> I, I'm shocked that they remade this movie in 2013. I'm curious I, to see the remake now, just to see if they managed to modernize, modernize it in a good way. Yeah. I, well, I, but, I don't, I don't know how you could do that. I, okay. So like, okay. So I don't remember the novel being this gross. Like, I, I read the novel at some point. Okay, so let, let, let's break this down. Okay, so we'll just, let's just for now ignore the heavy-handed use of the male gaze at several points in this and ladies getting slapped for being hysterical or being teases or whatever. We'll just, let's just put that in a barrel and shoot it. It's fine. The basic story of Carrie is uh, Carrie's mom is a religious nut job. 
um, like just just full yeah, on a true like, zealot, a true zealot, crazy zealot, like like abusive zealot. Um, never told Carrie about menstrual stuff because that's sin. She gets in the shower. She thinks she's dying. And then when her mom finds out, locks her in a closet to pray because she obviously sinned to get her to, you know, to get her period. One of the girls that is that yelled at her in the shower because they throw they throw like tampons and stuff on her and, and yell, plug it up, I guess. Um, she feels bad. So she talks her boyfriend into taking Carrie to prom. They take Carrie to prom. Prom's going OK. And, and, and it's a legitimate thing. It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her this trying girl, to be mean. She legitimately felt guilty for her actions and was trying to 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 make something good happen for for the main character after being bullied. Right, and then and then it's like the, the one the, saving grace of this movie. And then the one evil lady who's played by Officer Anne from RoboCop, who was yeah. twenty six at the time. <laughs> I was going to say who who was only just like four or five years away from RoboCop at this point. Yeah, mind you, um, the teacher, the gym teacher that that's on Carrie's side. Uh, she was 29 at the time of filming. So there's a three year age gap between these characters that were supposed to be like in their thirties and, you know, 16, but whatever, ignoring that, we're going to put that away. She decides to get revenge on Carrie and she gets her boyfriend to kill a couple of pigs. They fill up a bucket of blood. They're going to dump it onto them at prom. They do that. The bucket falls on her date's head, possibly killing him. <laughs> Cause that's what apparently happened in the book. Oh yeah. No, he was dead in the book. I remember that. And then she goes crazy with her telekinesis and murders everybody in the gym. And then her Super mom tries to kill her cause she's, with a combination of slow motion electrocution and slow motion fire. And then her mom tries to kill her because she's a witch and she kills her mom and then dies. The end. And then the the one girl feels bad. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. First off, um, the sheer amount of bullying that occurs in this movie, I don't think could happen in this day and age. <laughs> like if that happened, I, I mean, I'm sure awful stuff like this happens, but like if if social media or stuff got wind of it, I do not think it would end well for anybody involved, especially any teacher involved in any of this, you know, yeah, like, no like, like if this ended up on YouTube or something, cause in this modern day, somebody would film it. You, you would be YouTube's enemy of the week and get doxxed and, and all sorts of bad things would happen to you. And heads would roll at that school, like roll. How about the fact that one of the teachers is doing the slapping at one point? Right. Well, and that's the good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, using some air quotes there. No, no, that's the teacher that's nice to her, the gym teacher. She slaps her to to, to knock some sense into her because she's freaking out about the blood. The amount of bullying that goes on, I, I I don't know. I don't think goes on in this day and age. I haven't seen anything. Like, even in my day, this was, this was bad by my standards, and I was in school in the late 80s, early 90s, and I got bullied, but not like that. Like, I can't imagine that happening in this day and age. Yeah, I don't know if that's a, a realistic representation of what it looked like. Or it I'm positive it is, or at least that's Stephen King's recollection, because this is going to be I, just what I've seen from some of his movies. Like, well, I mean, it and Stand by Me, and sometimes they come back. Like, like psychotic br- bullying is a theme in his stuff. Yeah, like that—that well, that is I mean, the thing that kids do. So, on the plus side, we've come far. Yeah, yeah, because I'm sure he's channeling stuff that happened in the 50s and applying it to the 70s, and then we're watching it 30 years later. So, or God, oh God, like 50, 50, 40, no, oh, we're, we're 45 years later? 74, right? 76. 70, no, 74 was the book. 76 was the movie. So, yeah, we're talking about 47 years, or 44, 45 years later, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, the problem with the movie is none of it feels real anymore. You know, like 
if if that happened at prom where the prom king and queen got covered in blood and then a bucket fell and at the very least knocked out a guy who's popular, I don't think people would laugh. Like I know some people would laugh, but it wouldn't be everybody. People would rush up on stage and go, holy Christ, what just happened? Like it would be a, a big traumatic deal. Like not everybody would just bust out laughing from it. Yeah. You know, agreed. Agreed. And now the given has definitely changed and I'm not going to say it's perfect. And I'm not saying that we've gotten rid of it, but my God, if, if things have changed this much, then we're, we've really, we, we have come some distance. And, and it's pretty clear in the movie that not everybody's laughing. It's just, that's what Carrie's seeing, you know, like, like, cause she kind of goes, you know, just red rage and it's just what she perceives. But still, regardless, like I, yeah, it, it, it just the whole plot of the movie just doesn't work anymore. Like no, I, I can't, really I can't doesn't. imagine real people acting like that. I that, can't that's imagine. Why I'm, I'm so curious to see the modern remake just to see how they handle that. Well, it's going to be wild since, since we get there. That's 2013, baby. We got a lot <laughs> like of movie between now and then. Or 37. Uh, no, I think it's in the high twenties, but <laughs> regardless, it's weird. This is considered a horror classic. It's weird reading about the production of it where so many women like really wanted to play Carrie because it was considered a good role at the time. And, I, and Sissy Spacek was up for an Oscar because of it. And it's just like this oh, whole movie is horrifying on a lot of levels. Yeah. So, yeah, no, has not aged well. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. It Yeah, it's just kind of. And, like, and I'm this, sorry, I'll be the first to say it. I, I thought this back in the 90s when I saw Mission Impossible and I, I, I leaned over to my friend and said, you know, I think the Palm is kind of overrated. Like, I don't get why his name means anything because this movie's got some issues. And going back to the 70s, when which was his heyday, where he was considered to be one of the great auteurs. Wow. Boy, was I, you know, like really kind of short selling that he it's a mess. His filmmaking is atrocious. It's garbage. It's terrible. Yeah. And the plot doesn't make any sense because like, uh, Officer Anne starts formulating her plan to dump pig's blood on Carrie at the prom before she agrees to go to the prom. Yeah. You know, like before it's even a thing, she starts hatching this plan. And in the in the book, apparently they, they get it in the right order. But like the whole movie has this weird dreamlike quality because certain characters start doing things before they have reason to. And it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it, it's 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 a weird mess of things like I don't know. Yeah, I, I really legitimately don't know where to go with this it is a weird mess mm-hmm. the, the the pacing is way off the directing is just a hot mess there's this weird forced perspective thing with the foreground background characters that doesn't work in the 70s and certainly didn't work in the 90s when he was still trying it looking at you snake eyes god what a piece of crap that movie was did you ever see that snake eyes no. with nicholas cage and uh gary sinise no yeah, what a mess. What a mess. I have nothing kind to say about this movie. There's not a single redeeming quality about it. It was garbage. I don't know why it's held up as a classic. It needs to be retired. Agreed. All right, so there you go. Part one in the can. <laughs> this is going to be a lot more painful than I originally anticipated, buddy. Yeah, yeah, it's good times. Here we go. Going back to the 70s of cinema. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough, man. It's tough. And that brings us to the end of part one of our uh, King in All Things segment, where we talk about all of these Stephen King things in order. Uh, what's part two, Robert? What, what's, what's uh, the, the TV episode? miniseries Salem's Lot, which is my my first edition. Oh, 1970s Salem Lot TV series. This is going to be garbage. All right. I'm re- I'm excited. Yeah. Directed by Tobe Hooper, who uh, oh, 
Okay, so maybe the maybe there's, there's no Topher's a terrible director. Yeah, like I'm trying. Spielberg here. directed Poltergeist podcast. I I've heard I've heard this is good. Like I, I've heard good things. I've heard good things about Salem's Lot. God, it's considered you, you a know, classic. This, this is you've taken us down this road. This is your fault. I want to blame you right now. It, it was Wes's fault, if you remember correctly. Uh, you're not wrong, Wes. How dare you? <laughs> All right, it's now time for our year in the life segment. That is, of course, our segment where we talk about what we were doing uh, 365 days ago, uh, which uh, was still in the early days of the Rona won't last forever uh, as we turn the corner into increased infection rates on year two. Robert, tell me about a year ago. What were we doing? I, I, don't, I legitimately don't remember. Forgot my dice episode 91. No time to Tom Holland. We played Pan Am, the board game. Uh, which I still stand by being one of the most fun games that came out last year. I have a lot of fun with that, and I would gladly play that with you again. I We didn't play it together. So well, no, we didn't play it together. What I'm saying is I will gladly play that again with you, is what I should have said. Oh. I, I constructed my sentence then. in the wrong order. Why were we talking about Tom Holland? Was that Spider-Man came out? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why we were talking about Tom Holland. We were I going off about Tom listen. Holland. I I haven't I haven't had the time. Although I I I I do now because at Girl Scout camp I'm doing a lot more driving and I'm taking care of a friend's cat. So I can't I remember why we talked about Tom Holland. I don't remember either. He's lovely. He seems like a good person. Yes. Other things. Uh, I I think I was watching Altered Carbon at this point. I got the book Aquilere, the Spanish RPG, which is strange. Talked again about Pizza Girl, my cousin's book. A thousand-year-old Vampire came up, so that's cool. I watched the uh, the Jim Carrey classic, Yes Man. <laughs> oh. And No Time to Bond, sir, was Never Say Never Again. Coming around. That's why I brought it up earlier. <laughs> which which ended up being the best of the, the Connery movies. Yeah, surprisingly. Surprisingly. That movie was a lot better than I remembered. I told you. You were giving no, me crap. No, you were right. You were absolutely right. I was remembering incorrectly. I, I had very negative uh, negative memories about it, and that was that was on me. That was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I'm going to Steam to see if... Uh, there is a Pan Am module, bud, and it is scripted. I'll give it a go with you. We should schedule... Uh, I really like that game a lot. Tell, tell you what, tell you what, tell you what. This Sunday, as long as I'm not like super duper behind in editing like I was last time, I'll uh, I'll play this with you on Sunday. All right. I have added it to my subscription list, so... Okay. Ray, by the time you hear about this, it may have already happened. Because he's always down for Sundays. I feel bad. I'm like, I'm usually... Yeah, I, I couldn't do it this last Sunday, and I did feel very, very bad about that. Um, I, I'm just wiped out on Sunday half the time. Well, he when he texted me, I had just gotten back from the uh, from the river. I went uh, paddleboarding for a while, and by the time I picked up my phone and looked at it, it was already like 10 o'clock, so it was too late. Pencil us in for Sunday. Done. All right, so that was a year ago in our Year in the Life segment. Uh, it was episode 91, No Time to Tom Holland, which means that uh, it is the end of our Wisdom of Crowd segment. So it is breaky break time again, and when we return, it'll be time for our deep dive, part two of our 35th anniversary celebration of the Aliens movie, Aliens Bug Hunt. <laughs> Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. 
It is now time for our deep dive segment, and that is, of course, our segment where we dive into a game and tell you all about it so that you can make the decision as to whether or not you need to add that to your collection. What are we looking at today, Robert? Aliens Bug Hunt, an alien battle game, is an action-packed co-op die-rolling combat game for one to four players. Play as your favorite characters from the popular movie Aliens. There's an exclamation point. I had to say it like that. Each character has its own unique ability, enhancing their fighting characteristics. Players must work together with other players to fight the terrifying xenomorphs. Battle the xenomorph-infested complex, which is made up of 30 different location tiles. 30 custom dice are included. Custom trays within the box for easy setup and tear down. The rules covered by four full-color player dossiers, making the game easy to learn and getting the players into the action quickly. That was the most extreme reading I've ever heard. Now you're Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> that was a 90s. Macho uh, Madness, for... sky's the limit. <laughs> the cream of the crop. <laughs> Tell me you've seen that, right? <laughs> Probably. If, I don't know. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. All right. We're, before we continue. I'm coming oh. to get you. No, 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 no. Yeah. You're the single best Macho Man Randy Savage ever. The, the Skyrim mod that turns dragons into him because that that, that is, is f-ing amazing but that's not <laughs> that's the best thing ever it really legitimately is the best thing ever I'm not going to deny that <laughs> um, but you need this in your life the best is when you're just roaming around and just from the heavens you hear I'm coming oh, to yeah! get you no no I'm coming to get you it's like okay. <laughs> it's on <laughs> <laughs> oh f- god it's so good. I love that mod. <laughs> yeah. All right, just, 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 you, you, to watch two minutes of this. Not even two minutes. You can get it. Like, I just want to know where the fucking creamers are coming from. Why am I not getting any sound? Okay. Okay. Nothing means nothing. Oh, just wait. Just wait. <laughs> where does the creamer come from? It just keeps appearing, too. He keeps grabbing it while his hands off camera. He's doing it right now. He might as well be a magician. The cream, yeah. The cream will rise to the top. (laughs) (laughs) No one one that wasn't alive in the 80s will understand the beauty that was the World Wrestling Federation in the 80s. It was an amazing time for all things, really. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Coming to get (laughs) you. Uh, all right. So, Aliens Bug Hunt, man. Get us started. <laughs> you get us started. You're the one that played it. I read the well, copy. You, you you usually have a thing where you, you intro it in. I read the copy. That's what got this whole thing started. All right. I guess I'll tell you all about it. So, uh, Jonathan, how does it play? Hunt? Let me do my job, Jonathan. How does it play? <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. Oh, oh. Is that what you were waiting for? I'm sorry. Yes. Well, you should have said something. I was trying to. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk Not about how well. it plays. It's, uh, it, it's interesting. So after you finish setting up this game, what you're going to have is you're going to have on uh, one side of the board what's called the hive track. And the hive track also represents the outside of the colony that you're exploring with your Marines. Because what you have here is a four-player co-op game where you are 
Well, it, it just depends because there's a lot of variation, but you are trying to accomplish three missions inside of an infected colony uh, that have been infected by the xenomorph, uh, by a xenomorph population. So think of the movie Aliens. That's exactly what it is. It's it, This is an action movie co-op game, uh, a little bit pandemic, uh, and a whole lot of pew-pew-bang-bang. Uh, bang. Once you have set up your board, um, setup consists of, of bringing out your, your hive track, setting up the board. Um, the board will start with no tiles of the actual complex on it. You will be laying those as you explore it. That um, complex is going to be no, no larger than five tiles tall and six tiles wide. You're going to be taking uh, your characters and moving them around, um, and your character actually represents a whole squad of uh, Marines. You will have one named character and two grunts, uh, and those grunts are basically just firepower and cannon fodder, right? Um, there's a wide variety of named characters in the game. Pretty much everybody that was in the Aliens movie, including uh, minor characters like Frost and... Um, What's the other guy's name? Dietrich. Everybody's in there and you can select them, including Ripley, which is awesome. Now, once you have selected your named character and put your grunts down, you uh, take a player board and that player board will have a color associated with it. That color will then go around your plastic figure uh, because it comes with four plastic figures, which represent your squads, but they don't represent any specific character. They're kind of just nameless Marines because uh, there is so much variety that you can put into uh, into the game. Once you have your player boards out, um, there's a couple decks that you're going to build. One of them is the phase deck, which we'll get into in just a moment. Uh, You will choose a couple of random mission cards. There are quite a a few. Uh, You'll choose three, and those those mission cards will have three spaces on them that you will be trying to connect, or pardon me, that you'll be trying to collect tokens that are hidden in the tiles um, as you explore. And by completing those three missions, uh, putting three tokens on each of those missions, You will then try and escape the complex by getting back to the APC that's parked right outside, and uh, that's how you'll win the game. And there's a wide variety of different ways that you can lose the game, which we'll get into. There's another deck that you need to build called the tracking deck, and that tracking deck uh, is essentially how bad bad things spawn. So uh, it, of course, does look like the motion tracker from the uh, Aliens movie, and it'll tell you what row, uh, or sector as the game calls it, Uh, of those tiles, one through five, uh, that you're going to be spawning critters in. And we'll get to when you play that. And then at that point, you are pretty much uh, ready to go. So uh, a turn is going to look like this. Uh, One of the first things that you do when you're setting up the game is you hand out these four what they call dossiers. And uh, the game is really designed to be played with four players. You can play it as with as few as one. You just have uh, everybody play multiple characters. And if you're playing with one player, you're going to play all four characters. Now, what's interesting about this is the dossiers each contain a small portion of the rules of the game that are relevant to that particular role. And they're structured in such a way that everybody will, will own a piece of the setup. And then they will own a rule that they will basically become uh, an expert on. Uh, it might be the combat rules, it might be the movement rules, it might be the, the the actions that you can perform on your turn. Now, this is really interesting because it gets everybody involved during the game with different aspects of it. Like, there is one character that will be in charge of the phase deck. And so if you happen to have received that, uh, that particular uh, dossier, then you will have the phase deck in front of you and you will construct it and then you will play it. The phase deck consists of different cards. Some of those cards will be what are called player phase cards. Each player color has three associated cards with them that are in their color. Those go in the deck. Uh, 
You'll also have Xenomorph cards, and the Xenomorph cards are how bad things advance up the Hive Tracker, which is printed on the left-hand side of the exterior component of the uh, of the, the colony. Now, the Hive Tracker goes from 1 through 9, and at spaces 1, 4, and 8, you will see a Xenomorph symbol, which tells you that you're going to run the enemy phase when the enemies do bad things to you. On space 9 you're actually going to add a Xenomorph card to your phase card discard pile, uh, and that's going to make the game harder as you progress, because what you do is you take all of your order cards, you mix them together, and you start with only one Xenomorph card per player in your phase deck. You shuffle all that up, and the beginning of your turn is one player will flip over the top card, and if it's a, a player card... They will tell that the the player that is playing that color to take their turn. And if it's a Xenomorph card, they're going to slide the Hive Tracker up a space. And if it happens to hit a space with the Xenomorph symbol on it, they're going to help you run the, the bad guy turn. On your turn, if one of your cards has come up during the phase sequence, you are going to have an opportunity to do a couple things. You get three movement points. Now, it costs one movement point to move from one tile to the next tile. Or, if that tile happens to be blocked off by a barrier, it's going to cost you two movement points. Um, Make sense so far? Yes, it does. You're going to start moving around the complex, and as you exit one tile, you're going to grab a tile off of the the stack of upside-down shuffled tiles and just add it to the complex based on the direction that you are traveling. Kind of like Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Sounds like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just like that. Okay. Once you expose that tile, a couple things could happen. It could just be an empty tile, and those will have sometimes barriers pre-printed on them. And depending on the direction that you entered that tile, there will always be one side of the tile that has um, kind of light shining in a door, and that's how you will orient the tile. So sometimes, depending on the direction of travel, you'll get various um, orientations for the tiles as you as you play. Now, sometimes the tile will have a symbol in the middle uh, for an objective token, and objective tokens are dope because that means that you are going to be able to collect that token and start working away at the uh, nine objective tokens that you need to collect to finish off your missions and exit the complex. Sometimes these tiles will also have a hive token in the corner, and that is basically the xenomorph symbol with a number on it that tells you how many xenomorphs to spawn. Now, when you spawn xenomorphs, you add dice to that tile. And those dice will then be rolled uh, when you do combat against the Xenomorph. Now, after you have spent your three movement points, you have the opportunity to do a single action. That action can be to shoot or or do combat. We'll talk about combat a little more in a moment. Uh, That uh, action can be to capture an objective if there's an objective token on your tile when you finish it and place it on a single mission card. Or you can breach a barrier, and breaching a barrier that has no costs associated with it other than that's the action you take, uh, and you can then take your breach, uh, a breach token and put it over the barrier on the tile so that it is now free and clear and will only cost you one movement point to move through instead of two. Now, this is particularly important because you don't want to be in a situation where you're burning a lot of your movement points going through barriers uh, near the end of the game, because this game escalates in difficulty very quickly. And when you're trying to exit the the complex after you've completed your missions, the last thing you want to do is get hung up on barriers and not able to move quickly out towards the exit. There is a final action called reload. 
And reload is important because that's when you're going to ready any characters that have become depleted. So let's talk about what that looks like. When you go into combat, you are going to deplete a character. Now remember, you have a named character and two grunts on your player board, and they all have a starting phase, um, or pardon me, a starting location at the top of your player board. If you decide to shoot at an alien, each of those will have a number on the lower left-hand corner that corresponds to how many targets they can shoot at, uh, at when activated. And when you activate a player, you move it down to the bottom of your player board in the you know kind of uh, depleted section. So uh, that'll tell you how many of the alien dice that you can roll to see if you have uh, killed them or not. And uh, once all three of your characters are depleted, you can still do things like move and capture objectives. But if you go into combat, you're not going to have anybody that's ready to do combat. So you'll need to take that reload action to bring all of those characters back up to the top of your player board and have them be ready to act again. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. So when you go into combat you're going to roll these custom dice that represent the xenomorphs and you're going to roll them one at a time. And it's important that you do that because a couple different things can happen. When you roll them, you're going to get one of three symbols on one side of this six sided die is a red alien mouth. And that means that not only did the alien survive, but it counterattacked you and you're going to take a wound token. Uh, one face of the die has four scratch marks, uh, which means that the alien survived, but did not counterattack. And then four sides of the die will have uh, basically a blank face, uh, which is the same color as the aliens. And when you roll those sides, that means that the alien has been killed in combat and you then put the die back into the pool. This is important because one of the ways that you can die is if you need to add aliens to the map and there are no dice available. You've already put them all out. That's a game over. Uh, You've been overrun at that point. So... Fighting the aliens is important. You need to manage those dice because there is a limited quantity and you can never be in a situation where you need to add dice and cannot. Now, the wound tokens are kind of interesting too. All of the characters, including the grunts, have a set amount of armor that they can take. That's basically how many wound tokens that they can take before they are in a bad situation. Those wound tokens are placed uh, with the face side up because on the underside, there is a combination of blanks and KIAs. And as you add these wound tokens, after you hit that character's maximum armor, the character's not 100% dead yet. At that point, if they're supposed to take a wound token, you will start flipping over the wound tokens. And if they're blank, they survive. And if they hit a KIA, that's when they die. So there's a, there's a certain element of chance on, on, on pushing your luck with, with combat, which is kind of neat. Um, if, if ever you're in a situation where you flipped all the tokens, then that also represents death. So essentially, if you if your character has four armor, they could have as few as five hit points or as many as eight. Make sense? Yeah. Now, w- one thing that I should also add is that you can shoot at aliens in an adjacent space. And there's some differences. If you roll the blank side, you still kill the alien. Uh, but if you roll the uh, red mouth or the white scratches then the alien does not get a chance to counterattack, but it will move into that character square. So um, you, you could be getting yourself in trouble. Uh, another th- reason why the alien location is important is because if your squad is in a space with an alien, they can't move out unless there's another squad there. That gives you the flexibility of moving squads around. So that's essentially it. The cards from the phase deck are going to be exposed. Whoever player, uh, Whichever player's card comes up, is going to get their chance to burn their three action or uh, their three movement points and then take one of the actions. 
And then play will continue that way. Um, if an alien card comes up, you're going to move up the hive token. And if you move up that hive, uh, that hive track and encounter the xenomorph symbol, then you're going to give the xenomorphs a turn. Now, when they take their turn, any xenomorph that is sharing a space with a squad is going to instantly get to put a wound token on that squad. Uh, remember how I said that your, your characters are lined up left to right on your player board? The person in the rightmost slot is your point man, and that point man is going to take the first hit. So it's important that you don't put your named character there because your named characters all, all have some asymmetrical abilities uh, that you don't want to sacrifice early in the game. Now, after the xenomorphs attack, the, uh, any xenomorphs currently on the board are going to move. Now, if a xenomorph is in a space with a squad, they're not going to move. They're just going to hang out because they want to eat those squads. If a xenomorph is not on a tile with a squad, they are going to start moving towards the APC, uh, which is their escape route. And any die that escapes the complex by leaving the complex before it gets uh, engaged in combat uh, or killed is then removed from the game. It's not returned to the dice pool, making it harder for you to, to survive. And then finally... The xenomorphs are going to spawn in the xenomorph phase, and that's when you take one of those um, tracker cards and you flip it over and look at it. And any blips that show up are going to be in a corresponding sector, and then you will add that many aliens to that sector following some basic placement rules. And then sometimes those cards will have text on the bottom, which kind of doubles down on messing with you. And there you go. That That is essentially Aliens Bug Hunt. Move your squads around. Try and collect all the mission tokens, complete the missions. By completing the missions, by the way, each of those random mission cards will have a positive effect that you can activate once should you have completed the mission and filled it up with all three tokens. Once you get all of your missions completed, then you're going to try and get any of your surviving Marines out the, um, out the door and to the APC so that you can evacuate. And that is Aliens Bug Hunt. It's, um, how should I put this? Kind of like a... a shooter gauntlet board game variety and it works really well and it plays really fast and once you pick up on the rules it is super super fun i had so much fun with this all right jonathan so tell me about the rule book well this is where things get weird remember how i told you that the rules are split into four dossiers yeah if you're playing with four characters, that makes perfect sense. It makes the rules really, really simple, and it gives everybody a little ownership uh, over having a, a component of the rules that they know the best. Now, if you're playing alone, that really sucks, because when you're tr looking for the rules, you're looking through four different documents trying to find the rule that you're looking for. <laughs> so I don't fault them for that. They, they, they designed a game to be played in co-op with multiple people. I can't fault them for for doing what they did because what they did was different and interesting and actually works really, really well when you play with a group of people. But when you do try and play it alone, like I did uh, last night, and you're trying to refresh yourself on the rules, it's like, oh, man, wh where is that rule? Is it on this one? No. Is it on this one? No. Is it on this one? Oh, there it is. And what's, what's particularly frustrating is they could have included a, a full set of the rules for single-player play in the box and that would have solved this and it would have cost a couple extra cents per copy and problem solved. And, and, and that's particularly frustrating because the rest of the presentation here is absolutely stunning. First of all, it comes in a really cool box. Did I send you a picture of the box? Uh, I've seen it. I've seen pictures of the yeah, box. It's it, it great. It kind of looks like an ammo can, which is, which is neat. And once you take the lid off, there is a, an introductory, um, 
sheet that tells you what to do. And then there is a plastic tray with two of the, the hero figures and then space for all your tokens and space for all your dice. And then you lift that up and there's another plastic tray underneath that protected by a foam insert where your cards and your tiles will live and the other two plastic figures. And then on the side, you get the um, the board with the hive counter and you get all your hero boards and everything is nicely tucked into the box, can be very easily put away. It's super quick to set it up. And it's just a beautiful presentation. And it's really, really kind of deluxified. Like they used black core um, cardboard for the tiles. And they're really, really nice. Uh, same with the punch boards. And they, they come out real nice. The cards feel of, of a really high quality. The plastic figures, I would argue, are better than the Aliens game that we, we talked about last week. Or last episode. And everything is super nice. Like it's a beautiful presentation. And it's really smartly put together as long as you're playing with more than one person even if they didn't want to fork over the extra cents, I mean, just having a consolidated rule book on the website and just at the front of everything, just saying, well, that's the frustrating thing. You're absolutely right. There is a consolidated web uh, rule book on the website, but that doesn't help me when I'm sitting at a table. Well, I have an iPad, so that helped me, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Still laptops and stuff. I, I don't know. Like, well, as long as it exists, though. It's not a game breaker, man. Like like I said, they, they designed this to be a co-op experience. I'm not going to fault them for that. I just I felt the need to point out that they could have included a second rulebook in there for single-player play, and it would have made a difference to me. I think we already went over how are the components. You just said so. They're yeah, great. no, the rest of the components are gorgeous. The rest of the presentation is gorgeous. Um, it, it's super easy to read everything. It's got a total um, vibe from the movie. Uh, It borrows visual elements from everything for the graphic design, uh, which, you know, of course means you're going to have this weird 80s future thing going on, but it works. (laughs) And and everything comes off really, really nicely. Like, it's a beautiful package, and it's it's a super fun game to play on top of it. And I don't think it's that expensive either. How about this? How about this? Is there anything else off in the execution besides the rulebook, or was that it? Like, did you answer no, the only, all the questions? The only other thing is you're going to you're going to end up with a weirdly shaped box, which can sometimes be a pain to store. But I, again, you know, I, I get it. They're trying to they're trying to differentiate it from the rest of the pack. And it does a good job of, of really standing out. Plus, the game's only 40 bucks. And for 40 bucks, you're getting a lot of love there. Well, you know, what? I, I, I'm kind of willing to forgive a weird shaped box because they took the time to make it all fit well. So you don't have to buy one yes. of those goofy inserts. Yes. No, you really don't. Everything fits beautifully every time. I also failed to mention that the the um, cards in the game for the characters all have custom art and it, it's not just stills from the movie. And that really adds a lot to it. Like the custom art looks really, really good. And just to throw this out there, if you happen to be ordering from the Upper Deck website, th- it does come with a uh, bonus card, uh, which is an alternate uh, alternate art for the grunt. So what is the recommended player count? Is it is it four like they kind of intended the you experience know, to be? I've played it with four. I've played it with one. Um, it works both ways. It's a great one player game um, because, it, it, you know, it, it, it still works really, really well. And you don't need to make any alterations to it. Uh, it's just a little more to manage. It's a little more of a thought puzzle because you're managing four squads. As a co-op game, it's also great because it's going to always promote good table talk and you know the, the the best part about playing a co-op game is when you don't have an alpha gamer and you have good table talk and games that that force good table talk because everybody has an aspect that they can throw into the situation uh are neat and this game has that in spades 
All right, Jonathan. And you've said a lot. So can you think of one last thing to say that you haven't said already? I mean, look at 2021, gang. We got two really good games based off of a beloved franchise that do justice by it. And that is awesome. I can't pick a favorite in between these two, but I also wouldn't play them with the same group. Does that make kind of a weird bit of sense? No, that's a perfectly standard bit of sense. (laughs) Um, Aliens Bug Hunt is a solid, easy to teach, moves super quick co-op experience. And it's something that you can rattle off probably two to three games in an hour with. Whereas Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Core is a crunchy co-op game that is highly story-based and you're going to be lucky to finish one round in two hours. So, like, isn't it amazing that we live in a time where we're getting not just great licensed games, but multiples from a beloved license that's 35 years old, and they're both great, but for different reasons. Like, it's really great. I really genuinely enjoyed Aliens Bug Hunt, and I think it is a fantastic game, especially when you consider that it's only 40 bucks. That's a lot of co-op fun for 10 bucks a player. That's that's fantastic. So that's uh, Aliens Bug Hunt by Upper Deck. Yeah, man, Upper Deck nailed it. They did a good job with this. I, I had not heard of this designer, Ryan Miller. Uh, I'm going to have to look him up now. Oh, he's worked on a couple of big things. Uh, Ryan Miller is a game designer and former U.S. Army specialist from the state of Washington. He's worked with Wizards of the Coast and eventually helped start a company called Sabretooth Games. Oh, that guy. Okay. And he has worked on uh, Epic PvP Fantasy, uh, Valerian, the Alpha Missions. Oh, apparently he worked on um, Axis and Allies and Zombies, Betrayal Legacy. So, yeah, there you go. He, his design is solid. It's a fun, solid little game. So, yeah, Ryan Miller, I see you, bud. I'm going to be paying attention to what you do now. Well, <laughs> well played. Well played. All right. I think that's it. Play us out, Jonathan. That brings us to the end of episode 112 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. So once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you. I am especially curious if anybody watched The Tomorrow War. I would like to talk. I want to understand what my feelings are because I don't yet. I need to talk through them. Uh, Robert, that leaves us with you. Any final thoughts, my friend? So was it just a movie thing or did people actually slap people to like calm them down back I in the day. Know. I don't know because we've and seen plenty of evidence of that in the bond days. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. The movie was so strange. Like considering how beloved it is as a, a horror classic, I was really I don't expecting more what that, where that love comes from. I really legitimately don't. I feel like, I feel like somebody said that 30, 30 odd years ago and then everybody's just running with it and not coming up with an original thought because that movie was garbage. Well, I, I, I think it's running on pure nostalgia, basically. Like if you saw this movie at the time, I'm sure it was pretty groundbreaking. But by today's standards, it's it's has not aged well. Maybe 1976, but my God, not a single aspect of that game aged in anything I would remotely call well. Yeah, which is weird because some horror movies now maybe not age well, but like, you know, they're still watchable now. Like when I was prepping for the Dracula dossier, I, I watched a bunch of old Dracula movies, but the, the hammer ones and you know, a lot of the early fifties and sixties ones were, were pretty decent. Hey, I just want to point out that the thing came out only six years after this film. 
And as I've said before, the thing holds up really well. The only thing that betrays it is HD. Like, it holds up remarkably well. And so when I compare these two films, one is directed by a genuine, you know, auteur that that nailed the direction. And one was, I don't know what I saw. I just don't know what I saw. This was the same year as The Omen. Which, I mean, it's been a minute since I watched The Omen, but I don't remember it having anything as problematic as what I saw in this. Yeah, yeah, agreed. The Shootist, Rocky, The Bad News Bears, Network. Network's a great movie. Bad News Bears has some issues, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd imagine. Whoa, Nelly, was that a 1980s movie? 1976. Oh, God, even, even, yeah, but it's got, it's, yeah, it's got some of those problematic elements. Have you ever seen Network? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Oddly prophesizing? I don't know. The, the funniest part about Network is I don't know how well it ages simply because Network News isn't a thing anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? C- cable News is a thing, so I think you could apply yeah. it to that. Anyway, yeah, that's it. I'm still confounded by Carrie. Hopefully, hopefully Salem's lots be- better. I've heard good things, but we'll see. Again, it could be all nostalgia. Logan's Run came out that year. I mean, th- that movie's also a dumpster fire, but it's it's really weird and kitschy. All I have to say is that A King in All Things starts out with a real nut cruncher. <laughs> yeah. That was a kick in a very unpleasant manner. Like, that was not how I wanted to start this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it, it, it must be 30 years since I saw Carrie. Like, I, I don't remember harboring a deep-seated desire to see it again after I saw it. <laughs> now I really understand why. Well, there you go. Salem's Lot's next. And then The Shining, so there's some good stuff. Until we get to Cujo. I know The Shining holds up because I've seen it several times. So yeah. So I'm not worried about The Shining. I'm worried about Cujo. <laughs> I think we should rightfully be worried about Cujo. <laughs> Oh, well, we'll get there when we get there. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode, which means there's only one last thing to say, Robert. Be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 